Welcome to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. Welcome to episode 11 of Location Matters. My name is Adam Mullitz, and today I'm joined by Executive Director of NGIS, Richard Bentley, and Andrew Walker, who is the CTO of We Bring Group and the founder CEO of Spatula.io. So Spatula is a WA success story in terms of delivery technology, and they have recently been acquired by We Bring Group based out of Ireland. So we've invited Andrew in this week to tell us about his uh, experience and tell us about the success he's been having in this space. So Andrew, I'm going to start with you. Spatula is a WA innovation success story. Tell us briefly about what it does and why you were an attractive acquisition target. Well, firstly, thanks for having me in, Adam, guys. Um, happy to be in and uh, chatting about a good news story and to have a bit of a, a bit of weight off my shoulders. Um, so Spatula is basically a technology company. We started as, uh, we originally were founded as Fleet Engineering and now it's spatula.io. So if there's any confusion there, we uh, started trading as one of our product names along the way, So, but we're the, the same company. Um, Spatula is essentially delivery technology. So it's location-based software and a server-side tech and a driver app for managing teams of delivery people or guys out on the road um, to, to you know, automate the process of handing out delivery jobs um, combined with some tech around live driver tracking for customers, sort of Domino's, Uber style for better customer engagement. I mean, I've used it uh, myself just to test it out. It's really cool. It basically allows you to, you know, get that Uber experience, but for any organization. I mean, why did that uh, get the attention of WeBring? So WeBring, who just acquired us, are an Irish company who basically make deliveries for retailers and restaurants in 90 minutes or less. So they've got some, some big clients like Just Eat, Burger King, KFC, some big pharmacy groups and those sorts of things. Um, And they've been very commercially successful in building up that and have been developing some technology themselves along the way. Um, But that wasn't their core focus, whereas we're a a technology company first. Um, So our tech had some really nice features that they were able to look at and go, this is going to really take our service to the next level and stand us apart from other delivery services. So especially around some of our AI-driven automatic dispatch, automatic job assignment, so that you can be a bit more flexible about which drivers get which jobs at which time to drive their efficiency. Together with our, we're one of the only platforms on the market that's kind of focused on customer engagement as a digital marketing means. So getting kind of customized, branded content in front of a customer while they're waiting for stuff, um, which is really neat for their brands who are out there competing essentially in a marketing space. I mean, this is really a growth industry, Um, the delivery tech. Everyone's trying to get things delivered today. You've got couriers, you've got restaurants, as you mentioned. There's, uh, you know, delivering people like what Uber does. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, why is this an interesting space to be in at the moment? Well, everyone's doing it like that. The whole shop face is moving from a shop to the internet in a lot of senses, and people want things 
faster. They often want things immediately. Um, so not only is that an interesting logistical space, but think of all the millions of dollars people were spending on having interesting stores and making you know your Louis Vuittons look like beautiful places to be. That experience is now either online or when a delivery person rocks up. So to me, that whole treating it like a, a marketing piece was almost virgin territory. Um, and the logistics piece is really interesting as well, just from a, a pure mathematical problem. What do you think, Richard? I mean, Amazon's just launched in Australia. Delivery is going to get a lot bigger here. And certainly it's not getting any smaller anywhere else. Why is spatial technology really important in this space? I think, um, you know, because the the issues involved involve location. You know, you've got a, a warehouse or you've got a, a, a point of, um, you know, manufacture of anything from a, uh, a piece of uh, small goods or, you know, hot food, whatever it might be, and you've got to deliver it somewhere in a certain amount of time in a, in a certain way with a, with a certain vehicle type. Um, so all of those things go together to make, uh, I suppose, every every situation unique and you know using technology that we're hearing about today it, it allows you to to manage that in a in a way that's controlled and you can make decisions based on you know the artificial intelligence or the weighting of particular components you know hot food over something that doesn't need to be delivered hot so hot food gets delivered before something that's you know cold or you know a package if, if you if you think about it like that and then to to bring into uh bring into the situation things like uh, traffic, um, you know, so uh, rerouting, those sorts of things. Uh, they're all components of a, a problem that is always being spatial. So, you know, taking on, say, uh, the Google uh, API, which uh, Spatula uses, um, it, it's starting to pull together, you know, or it does pull together all those really successfully, obviously, because, you know, uh, the technology is being taken up by another company. So what was the journey like, Andrew, going from a startup in your living room or at the university as it is um, to becoming a commercial a commercial success in its own right and then ultimately being acquired? What, what was that like? Horrific. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a long journey. So, so Fleet Engineering is about a five-year-old company. We, I started it together with my brother-in-law and, and his brother out of their IT business so we, we they sort of gave us some some office space and some computers and some accounting support and that sort of thing uh we quickly became slightly too big to fit in there and we ended up moving into a trampoline park i think we gave them some <laughs> it equipment and they gave us an office space right so so we uh, we had more trampolines than google so that's a springboard for success yeah something like that uh we then so um, from there, we basically did a, a deal with University of Western Australia and we've been partnering with them ever since, so about two and a bit years, uh, which was a real turning point for the business. They've been incredibly supportive in terms of helping us have access to space. Um, we, we deal with um, a group in there called uh, UWA IQ, which is run by Rob Shannon and Joe Hawkins, who basically are looking at engaging with the innovation sector and with startups and with more experienced bigger companies um and for us they basically got us some office space on campus in return for engagement with the, the school of computer science uh, so that part of it really helped us in a number of ways one access to the sort of facilities that we needed to yes we were giving back to the to the computer science community but at the same time gave us early access to talent 
um, which was tremendously important for us to be able to find the people who could, who could actually write the technology and be able to attract them before Google, Airbnb, Facebook, and everyone else under the sun started making them job offers that they couldn't refuse. And by the time they realized how much they were worth, we were too interesting to leave. Um, so, I mean, that's really the progression of where we've had our offices. Uh, along the way, we've sort of learnt a lot of hard lessons around what it, what it's possible to do with limited resources and how narrow a focus needs to be. Hence the, the change of name from fleet engineering to spatula.io along the way was sort of a, a change from a fairly broad um, a fairly broad set of products that had multiple different clients in multiple different industries um, and we were tackling different problems. But that meant we had, you know, five different sets of global massively funded competitors each tackling one of that one of our products, which is just completely impractical, and so we were basically a consulting, you know, bespoke firm at that point, and me kind of going going grey. I know I look like a, you know, look like I'm 108 now, but really I'm only 38. You know, been... looks like he's about 21, by the way. <laughs> Pod fans. <laughs> so yeah, it was really a, uh, it was almost a journey of self awareness, getting a narrower and narrower and narrower focus on a product, and learning to say no to kind of peripheral things, kind of keeping an eye out on where the, where the opportunity was, but trying to have a very specific view of what we were trying to do. One of the things that we've struggled with when we've built products in the past is the, you know, functionality creep, you know, so you have the base product and it works and it's quite functional, but then it's like, we want more functionality, we want more functionality or the sales teams that you get involved with or the customers are saying to you, oh, if it only had that, we'd buy it from you. How do you, how do you stay the course for the product, so it is what it is, and you know customers need to get used to that functionality before the next rollout. I'd say that is the biggest lesson for any software startup, especially when you get a slightly large potential customer saying, "Oh, if only this, then I'll give you some money," um, rather than "I'll give you some money and then will you do this for me?" Um, if they're prepared to pay for it, then that's something different. But even then. Um, when we really started to take the product forward um, way faster and have a much more robust, better, globally scalable product was when we basically said, Look, our boundary is going to be at this point and we're going to have that as an interface. We're not going to pretend to solve the whole problem uh, and we're going to design this in a way that stuff can be built onto it. And so half of, our, half of the people that we're targeting want something that we don't have but we're designed in a way that they can hook into it and then from there starting to look for partners who we could point them to so so if someone wants to start their own version of uber eats we've now got a restaurant marketplace partner based out of philadelphia who have software that can be used for the ordering side and that integrates directly with spatula for the delivery tech so we don't have to go and build a marketplace software as well and if people wanted something you know really bespoke but they weren't terribly large or we integrate with, with Zapier, which is kind of an integration as a service, so you can integrate with almost anything. So, yeah, very, very important point. Um, stick narrow, stick to your guns, and tell anyone who's not prepared to whack up a big chunk of cash that they'll have to go and integrate it themselves or that you're, you're, welcome, you're happy to help them to um, design how it will build into their functions but not you know, change what you're doing and go make it for them. We first met when we went to this conference in Melbourne about home delivery and that whole conference was about the incredible complexity of last mile delivery. Tell us, what are the, the, what are the main points of last mile delivery and why was Spatula able to, to tackle them successfully? 
actually that's a good point. That conference was a turning point in the way I thought about it um, in a couple of ways. One was I was surprised to hear how expensive last mile delivery is for people. Um, I knew it was already complex, but it's a big, but a much bigger percentage of the cost of the whole end-to-end supply chain than it, it really feels like it should be. Um, and the other part was how many missed deliveries there are. Uh, I can't remember which speaker it was, but someone was talking about, hey, in the, the general uh, sector of, of parcel delivery, there's about a 20% missed delivery rate. But with this live last mile tracking that they had, it was 1% or less. I said, wow, our business is last mile customer tracking. Let's make that next. Um, and then we built that and we started looking at how often people were looking at that live tracking. And it was half of the people that received a tracking link opened it and started looking at it. And on average, they looked at it for about five minutes at a time. And once we saw that, we started to say, well, wait a second, how much does it cost to get a captive audience like that and have their attention for that long, let alone when you know it's someone who's interested in your product has already bought from you and you want them to you know, refer you to others and buy from you again and remember who you are. Um, so that's where that bit of the product really stemmed from was like lots of people are starting to do the live last mile tracking. There's a real opportunity in that. And then the rest of it was really building out the product around it to solve the rest of the problem. So your product actually has um, advertising in the tracking interface, does it? Uh, so that you can push messages to the individual to say, look, get excited about it. your products almost here, you know, wait till you put the jacket on, you feel like a million dollars type thing. Or is it all around uh, the food you're about to have or, or whatever? So can it be tailored, the message that you receive um, as as the, you know, as the person is about to deliver the goods to, you know, building, you know, that excitement for the people that are about to get something? Uh, it's really... So we've really created the infrastructure to build out any kind of marketing message into it. So every delivery job that gets created has an associated marketing campaign tag as with it, and that campaign defines how the tracking link looks and what content's embedded on it. And that might be a, a simple coupon linking to an external site or it might be an actual embedded website within the tracking page. So say without actually going off the page that's tracking the driver, you can access all the information to change what happens at the delivery. You know, think Australia Post where you go to the website and say, hey, I'm not going to be home. Imagine that's on the page where you're watching the driver come to you. Oh, I'm not going to be there. Here's what I, yes, you can leave it. Don't, don't leave me one of those cards, you know, that kind of thing. So depending on what business they're actually in, um, you can do things right there. Also, if you've just received something, that's a perfect time to ask for feedback or ask for a referral on it. Um, if you want to refer to a friend and say, hey, here's a coupon, maybe get something else. Uh, we've even talked about things like, hey, you've just ordered some pizza. Would you like an ice cream to go with that? Click here for a 15% discount on you know, Baskin Robbins or whatever. So there's really, um, it can be as simple as branding or it can be as in-depth as treating it like the you know, last-minute purchases at the, at the checkout counter. Wow, okay. So like we said earlier, the basis of the spatula technology is, is Google Maps and the data that's in there. Sorry, before we go any further, spatula, <laughs> where did that come from? Where did spatula come from? I have a theory about this, and I, I haven't asked you about this in the past. Well, you lay it down. Let me, let me ask, does it come from the word dispatch, dispatula, spatula? I think it's lift and shift. <laughs> no, what? <laughs> 
So I actually wanted to change Who's the name right? to dispatchula.com, which we which we yeah! bought. But but that but, but that's not actually like the origin Dracula, of the name. The, the origin of the name was it just happened to be a word that one of the guys on the team liked back before it was even a dispatch product. <laughs> And, uh, and then as we started to develop it into a dispatch product, we were trying to think of a name. And we were like, you know what? Spatula is a pretty good name for a dispatch product. <laughs> it's kind of like, and it, I guess that's why we were attracted to food delivery as well, because it really, it really fitted the name. So anyway, it's name-driven product development. <laughs> uh, uh, it seems to work. <laughs> that is the golden spike right there. <laughs> All right, well, <laughs> back to Google. Um, yeah, it is, it is built using Google Maps platform and all the data in there. And, you know, in terms of the last mile delivery, you know, knowing how long it's going to take for a driver to get somewhere, telling that driver the quickest way to get there in current traffic, you know, it, this this data is, is really, like, um, really pivotal, but it's not that cheap. Tell us about, you know, the journey you guys went through about deciding whether or not to use it. Our journey to Google Maps was a sprint. So our, our first GPS tracking product was actually built on, uh, an open source product um, that had an open source wrapper around it. And shortly after we had our first 24-7 client go live, that open source product went down. And we were getting phone calls saying, when is this coming back up? And we had no one to ask <laughs> and no way of fixing it. Uh, and at that point in time, I got on the phone with a provider of Google Maps and said, how much and when can we start? <laughs> So there was actually a little trick in that question about it being cheap, right? Because most of the time we do get told that Google's really expensive, but the exact answer you've just given, actually Google Maps can be incredible value, can't it, Richard? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, a global product, and especially for someone like yourself, that, uh, you know, the expansion, uh, you know, you get the same look and feel across the planet. It doesn't matter whether you're in India, Australia, uh, Ireland, the UK, it's always the same product. Um, and I can't remember the last time uh, Google Maps uh, went down. So, it's uh, yeah, it's a quality product. Uh, one thing I'd add to that is, so there's lots of people building stuff on top of Google and now Mapbox and others as well. Um, it's easy to think that you might be building very similar stuff. It's actually kind of the opposite. Um, because you get so much functionality out of the box, we can write a whole bunch of innovative innovative tech and develop our whole own product all custom right from the start and we never have to bother about the stuff that they've already done for us so you get a whole lot of things for free you know yeah it might cost you you know a few thousands of dollars but building that yourself would be completely impractical and multiple years and multiple techs so you're kind of standing on the shoulders of them to give you um i think the best way one of my devs put it is a bit like what Pyrex is to, uh, you know, someone working in an actual chemistry lab is how Google Maps is to our product. It's like something you just think about. It's not, it's not what we're building our own IP on. It's just a tool that's there that's an incredible piece of tech that uh, was expensive but not relative to not having it. Yeah, I think once you build your own tech, you realise how expensive it is to actually maintain it as well and to upgrade it and to keep it current uh, and to actually scale it. Now, the scaling thing is something that Google does really well. You know, you can have 10 clients, you could have 100 million clients. I mean, Santa Tranker, how many, how many clients does that have? Was it 65 million clients a minute? It was something incredible. I am interested to see what what happens next with, with Google and their new 
uh, flexible pricing structures and some of their competitors noting the, the, the dissidents coming in through the market. And so there's some strong competitors here, Maps, Bing Maps, Azure Maps, Mapbox, Baidu is probably going to put out something commercial at some point soon, you would think. So um, I think a few people who have relied on one model from Google might be raising their eyebrows at the way it's going at the moment. So it'll be an, it'll be an interesting 12 months. I'd like to look back at this interview and see what we're saying. <laughs> Just to finish off, what I'll ask you both, I mean, you're both successful business owners. What advice, I'll start with you, Richard, what advice would you give to someone who's just trying to get into the tech business and start something new? Look, I think we covered it earlier. You've got to stay focused. Uh, you've got to stay the course. You, it's got to be clear th- the pain that you're going to take away from your customer base. Uh, and you've also got to have a means of actually uh, collecting that customer base as well, whether it be through third parties who are going to use the product and push it out to their customers. So I, I think they're the things. You've got to uh, take the pain, take the pain away, I mean, <laughs> not take the pain, but there is a lot of taking the pain as well. I mean, because Andrew will talk about it, the overnight success has taken five years to, 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 get, to get where he wants to be. Um, it's a hard grind, you know, it's, and it's not for everybody. Um, but, you know, you get to the other end of something and somebody comes along and wants to buy your product, that's the, uh, that's the seal of success because you, you know you've, you've actually built something that matters. Yeah. Let me think about that for a second. I, my advice to people starting out is that it's incredibly important to have an enormous amount of self-awareness of what your own capabilities and resources are. Um, it, there are lots of sort of pitch nights and, and people talking themselves up to try and get funding and these sorts of things, and it's all great to tell a good story. But you actually have to do stuff, and regardless of how good a, how good a write-up you get or whether someone's interested in you, you actually have to go and make stuff happen. So if you don't have the right resources someone giving you a million bucks would be the worst thing to happen. So you have to quickly figure out what you can do and get people around you who can do the things that you need to make the business work otherwise um, and really get them on as early as possible. When you start out, you've got no resources, so you try and do everything unless you've got a good co-founder. And if you're not careful, you go on doing a lot of things that you're terrible at just because you think that you need to battle through and make it work. Whereas really, if you'd gone and met the right person and got them on board, you know, it's done that afternoon sort of thing. So being too proud, I think, is a, is a mistake to fall into. Um, I'd say the other thing is the importance of having someone else on your founding team who's full-time, which I didn't do, which meant that I was like a 23-and-a-half-hour-day stress pot. Um, you need to have someone, someone else on the team so, so the, the guys who started the business with me is very supportive, terrific. But next time, I think I'd really want someone else who is sharing the, the stress load. So on the days where I was really down, you know, like when there's $150 left in the bank and $4,000 in outstanding bills and, you know, this kind of thing happens and you, you're wondering whether to quit or not, hopefully it's a day where they're going, you know what, I've still got that um, completely unwarranted optimism that you need to start a startup, you know. <laughs> I think one of the the other things is uh, don't fall in love with your product. You know, if it's not working, shoot it in the head. There are plenty of other ideas that come along. You know, uh, the worst person to put in front and in 
uh, in charge of their own product is a person, the, the founder, because they can't make a decision, a, a rational decision to move in a particular direction or drop some functionality or to do something like that. So it's, and that's having that, the, uh, I suppose, the uh, a co-founder gives you that balance because they can go, you're crazy. What are we, what are we you know, burying another $50,000 into that piece of functionality? Walk away from that part of it. You know, we've got all of this working for us over here. So that would be the other thing that I'd say, you know, don't fall in love with the tech. One more, which is the other, this is a very common one, is if you meet someone who's new to startup land, um, they might be a bit shy to share their idea because they think you might pinch their idea or something. No one who's like worked on a startup for three or four years would have any problems telling you their ideas because if you can make it work, if you could take that idea and go make it work just as well as them, then it's probably a terrible idea. You know, you should be sharing your idea far and wide and getting people to, to shoot it down if they can. And if you still believe in it after that, then great. And hopefully along the way, you've met some people who can help you take it forward. So I would say, unless you're defending a patent, you probably, and unless you're a, an advanced researcher in some field, your idea is not unique. Lots of people have thought of it. Probably some of them have tried it. Probably some of them have been half successful. Um, you should really try and get as much feedback on it as possible. Find out who's, who else has done it, where they failed, where you can succeed, and then go from there. Wonderful. Thank you very much both for joining us today on the podcast. As always, you can listen to it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify check out our website for the show notes. You've been listening to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS covering the world of mapping and location technology. To find more episodes or to read our blog, check out our website, ngis.com.au.